0: Catch crap. Morning podcast. Oh my gosh. Ah, the man goes wild. Ah. <laughs> I don't have anything else. Let's just start the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? So <laughs> I sat there waiting for a joke to appear and I just on silence, you know, like, uh, I got nothing. (laughs) So it's going to be a short morning podcast today. Um, no Brandon, Brandon had to go off and do, do a job to go to work. So I'm here doing the morning podcast by myself. He'll be back on soon enough. It's a pretty busy weekend. So what did I do? What did I do this weekend? Uh, I watched, you know what? I watched Invader Zim Enter the Florpus, but I do want to have Brandon on to talk about that. So, um, short review, loved it. So, super awesome. What else did I do? I'm a little over halfway through on the Dark Crystal. So, super, super cool on that. You know, I've seen some of my artist friends, sort of, you know, how do I say it? So, sometimes, when everyone loves something. People wait a while, then they go, "Hey, you know what? I don't love it so much. Sorry." Just fine. But um, the Dark crystal it's, its interesting. When I was a little kid, first it scared the shit out of me. But as I got a little bit older, it—I don't want to say around. I thought when it came out, so I want to say around '88, '89. I started to look at the film in a different way. Like I felt like. It, it was way condensed, like, and I remember saying at the time, if this was, if this was more like, like a, I, I if this was more like a TV show, that's what I said. Then I think this story would be really cool because there's so much here, and I uh, I remember not watching it for about ten years, and then when it came back out or, or more, whenever it came back out on DVD, I bought that around two thousand two or three rewatched it again and I was like yeah this would definitely work better as a TV series. Uh, it's always been very lore world building lore if that's a word. You know high fantasy like here's the world and these characters very Tolkien. And for me I'm not the biggest fan of that form of storytelling. Um I prefer the Indiana Jones Star Wars kind of like you enter a world where all that stuff's going on, and then you expand the lore as the story unfolds versus all the lore up front. Like, in Lord of the Rings, when I first saw The Fellowship, and it had that 10-minute sequence, you know, it bored the shit out of me. Um, I came to appreciate it more and more as you know, the film uh, was released on extended edition, I watched the making of it, and I could see what they were up against in terms of setting that stuff up. But that's just a form of storytelling that I was, never the biggest fan of. Um, They continue that here in the series. So a few of my friends out there were posting stuff on Facebook where they're like, and Twitter and Instagram. They're like, sorry, I'm just not a big fan of this this stuff. I think it's visually stunning, but, you know, the story is just not there for them. And that lore thing, I, I get that. Um... Didn't bother me as much now. I would not tell a story that way, you know, or as little as possible. Um, uh, I sort of feel like start with your protagonist, and then if you have multiple protagonists, add the lore as you add those people, so you can kind of follow each one. Because when you, for me, like when you when you tell a story where you set up all the kingdoms at once and all the different races, and then you plow across each one, I can't tell who is who. Like. (laughs) one Gelfling starts to look like another for a while. and It takes three or four episodes where I'm like, okay, that's this group of characters and that's this character and that's that character. So, I think a story that does it perfectly is uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which is based off the manga. Um, that's a giant world that just expands further and further and further as characters are added. So, I just couldn't imagine trying to get the entire history of that country with all the alchemists and the stuff with Scar and the stuff in the East with Zing, all that set up when you first start the story, you know, like that, I just couldn't keep track of it. So that being said, there's another thing too that the show does that might put some people off with the story where it's very basic, like, but it's very basic in terms of Characters are going to do things in a childish manner. Like the Gelfians do things in a childish manner. And uh, they don't really act like three-dimensional adult beings. Even though they're supposed to be. But I, I really do have to appreciate that because they kind of keep it very limited. In terms of the depth of character. Uh, how, how do I say depth of character? Like, So if you got two guards. So you got two prison guards. And they're arguing with one another. They're arguing like little kids or Muppets would. Right? Because they are Muppets. Versus two guards. Like on Game of Thrones. Right? For the lack of a better explanation. Two human people. But the benefit to that is. is They are able to tell. A more myth. How do I say? A mythologically arced story. Like it's a story that. Has As you get further along, you realize what the story is actually about. And I'm like, you know, the genius of this is kids could follow this. It's not pandering to kids because it is complex, but it's presented simply so kids could follow. Um, so that being said, as as the series moves on, I can appreciate the decision making they made in the story more and more. The only thing about the series that drives me a little baddie is the first episode does a lot of these crazy sweeps. The camera has to constantly be moving. Um the director's Louis Leterrier or whatever. He he did the the Hulk movie, the first MCU Hulk movie. And he did those uh I always wanna call them the God of War films with those Wrath of the Titan movies. Um And I actually like that first Hulk movie, but he he's one of those guys that it's kinda like the, the camera has to constantly add energy to the scene. The worst version of that to me is Aquaman. Man, that camera will not stop moving. So, it stops doing that a lot like, by the second episode. So, I, I just remember when I was watching that, I was like, I really wish the camera would just settle. It keeps wanting to move around all these spaces. I'm like, yeah... I have a feeling that they shot all the episodes in order, right? That's how it's done with TV. So I think they chilled out on that as they go along. Um, but, but props to Louie, man. That guy's directing all eight of those episodes. That that's crazy. That's a giant technical hurdle in production to do. Um, if you if you don't know how to appreciate. How much effort it takes to coordinate that many people to make a film, or a TV show, or anything, let alone one with puppets, where all the floors have to be raised, and it's two people. It takes two people to control just one of those things Back during the movie, it took four. Um, but if you don't know how to appreciate that, just try to put on a high school play. <laughs> you know, like just sign up whatever you can do to volunteer, if you got kids or something, just help out with the high school play and see how much effort that takes. And then just multiply that by, uh, you know, a million for a TV show and a billion for a movie. Like, that's how complicated it is. Um, But I'm enjoying The Dark Crystal, uh, Age of Resistance. I I really am. Um, What else? Oh, the trailer for uh, El Camino, The Breaking Bad. Movie tra- the, the second trailer they put out a teaser trailer uh, a few months ago Skinny Pete if you watch Breaking Bad Brandon doesn't so I'm just gonna cover some stuff Brandon doesn't really talk about uh, and look the trailer is one minute long it's just uh, a certain character sitting in their car listening to the radio which kind of catches you up to the events the, the ending to Breaking Bad which sets up the events of this film and I'm so so glad that this film was going to Netflix versus going to the theaters because if this, if a follow up with what happened to Jesse Pinkman was going straight to the theaters, you know they would have just marketed the hell out of that and given away every story point there is. You know, um, to the point when, when Breaking Bad ended, if you remember, they made a Need for Speed movie that Aaron Paul starred in, and the joke on the internet was, Jesse Pigman is driving, and now he's racing in Need for Speed. This is, you know, that was that was like the internet's way of trying to uh, wrap up that storyline. But you watch Need for Speed, and you're like, yeah, that's inherently Hollywood-ish. You know, no good. So it's really, really awesome that this just got made in secret, and the the trailers are literally a minute long. I mean, the fact that it's called El Camino and not just Breaking Bad the movie, you know, is is again a benefit of it going straight to streaming where they just don't have to market things. And I wonder too, you know, given how streaming markets things, I I wonder if how long it'll be before Hollywood attempts to emulate that sort of marketing where they really pull back everything and only do 1 minute long trailers. Um I wonder if it's hard to say if the the way movies are marketed now, they just keep people from going to see them because people feel like they've seen the trailer. Although, sometimes you see a trailer and you're like, I didn't know what's going on in this movie. Like with uh, Episode 9 I've had a lot of my friends complain to me. I don't know what's going on with Star Wars. I can't tell. Then they see the trailer for Mando, which tells you about it as much. Story. I still don't know what's going on in the series. And everyone's like, it's amazing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this the, isn't it weird how the standard for one format cannot be used for the other? I um, I wonder how that will change over the next couple years. you know As the streaming wars go into full effect, I wonder how the marketing of films, will change because they have to i mean i've already s- how do i don't want to say this when i go to the theater it's like almost 30 minutes of commercials before you even start the movie drives me batshit crazy um turn off your phone so we can play you commercials they're not even trailers for movies you know they're like any tv shows and car commercials and playstation commercials it's like, here's all the shit you could be doing if you weren't stuck in this theater watching commercials showing you all the shit you could be doing. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me why I shouldn't bother seeing another movie. You know, there is a bunch of other shit. I could be watching this TV show. I could be playing that video game. But no, I'm here watching this fucking commercial. So, you know, I <laughs> I just, it's frustrating. And I, I know that can't continue. Some Some little study came out Last week or the week before. You know, they took a poll and people were, like, agreeing that there's too many trailers before movies. To which, you know, us, us geek elites, elite geeks, whatever. We're like, no shit, but it's not just that. It's the motherfucking commercials. I mean, it just won't end, you know. What did I saw? I saw the movie, yeah, the, I saw the Downton Abbey about a couple of weeks ago. So uh, that was light on commercials that one. But that was the I paid extra for like that VIP 21 thing they got down here. So they tend to play less commercials and stuff like that. Um since they already know you're spending a shitload of money. But it used to be when I saw an IMAX movie, there were like no commercials, just the movie would play. And now, now, man, 15 minutes of IMAX trailers. You know, just... Greats on you. Greats on you. Most people finish their snacks before the trailer. I wonder if that's... I wonder if that's it. I wonder if they play so many trailers so they're hoping you eat your snacks and you'll go back up and get more snacks. Hmm. I wonder. Because there's always some some monetization thing for the theater. Like, I get they sold an ad that benefits the chain, but the individual theaters, I wonder I wonder if they know how long it usually takes people to consume their snacks. They have to know, right? I mean, they have to know. So they know, let's just say they know how long it takes the average person in a the movie theater to eat through them snacks they bought. And I know most of out there saying, I never pay for the snacks. I can assure you, plenty of people pay for snacks when I go to the theater. There plenty of you. So maybe we don't, but they do. I do tend to support the theater and get like a small Coke and a small popcorn. Um, popcorn twice a year. Usually a Star Wars movie and uh, a big Marvel film, whatever the one I want to see the most. Uh but I den- generally get like a small diet coke or something when I go in, just, just to support the chain, if it's a good theater. Um But yeah, they have to know. Like I, I refuse to eat any of my snacks before the movie starts, so just just because of that. <laughs> uh I know, it's it's dumb, right? We all try to find ways we can like outthink outthink the m- the theater or the marketing behind stuff, you know, like you get somewhere and you're like, I know how to like avoid all that, all the, uh, all the tricks they're using to get me to buy stuff. Like if you go to the the grocery store, you're looking at all that nonsense at the checkout aisle and you're like, nah, they're not going to get me on any of this. And then, you know, eventually they do. You get like a diet soda, you get a soda, you get a pack of gum or something. They eventually get us. But we like to think, I like to think they don't. So they get me. I, I, I used to be that guy who was like, they won't get robbed. But I let it go now. I just accept that if I'm going there, they're probably gonna trick my ass into getting something. Um, the what they won't do is get me to come back. The experience is horrible. I will not come back. Like same with, uh, you know, restaurants like I'm going to pay, I'm going to tip, and then I'm never coming back. So that's that's how I do it now. That's the control it's the control I have in my life. What else Oh, it was Batman Day. I do want to talk to Brandon about that, but it was Batman Day, so I reposted this Batman that I drew 3 years ago for a commission. But like most things in life, folks, people either forget or they just they just never see your portfolio. So it got a lot of traction. So that was super nice. Um, a lot of people were like, who drew this? I'm like, I, I did. <laughs> I did. So that was super nice to get. That was uh, uplifting would be the word. Fun part about that uh, creatively. So when I when I colored it, it's like in this black, white, red thing because I, uh, I do a lot of pencil shading with red shader pencil while I'm working. And so at the time I was thinking uh, about doing my comic stuff in very limited color palettes like that, like three or four colors. Uh, and so I did a test with the Final Fantasy VII, with this uh, in red. I also did like three or four different colors with the Final Fantasy VII. I had like, I think a green, an orange, a purple, a blue. And then I sort of just abandoned the look. Um, but, uh, you know, when it comes to color and commissions, I might bring that thing back. Because I, I like the way it looks. I, I actually have full fully rendered versions of this Batman that I've just never posted. A matter of fact, Saturday night, for fun, I did another version. I've recolored him three times, and I've never posted the colors. Because I just don't like the way it comes out. Every time I do it, I'm like, oh, that looks cool. Let me sleep on it. And then I wake up, and I'm like, nope. So there is a simplicity to the way I've colored it because of all the line work that I just can't. Maybe I'm just not good enough a colorist to figure out how to do it. When I color, I tend to not like a ton of lines on my art. So when there's a ton of lines everywhere, I don't really know how to deal with that very well. Um, that's where I, I appreciate, really appreciate professional colors who, you know, they get those, whoever colors the spawn books, man, they get these books with the gazillion lines and you know what to do with it. I would not know what to do with it. So in three years with everything I've done, I still haven't figured out how to do that. Um, I prefer to have more simpler lines and let the color kind of do the work. Uh, but it is a cool look. So I did a test, too, once with the Little Reaper stuff, just trying to color it basically like that, like in a limited color palette, like Ashley does that limited color with her Veltanius project, but I just don't think it works um, with the digital lines, so I'll just have to have to just be like, well, if I'm going to do that gritty pen look, then that's how I color my stuff. I think a whole manga like that would look dope with those gritty lines and inks and all that pencil shading and limited colors. I, I believe that the the Final Fantasy VII Noir. I think it's on my my deviant. Let me look really quickly before I wrap this up. I'm gonna go take a look here on my deviant art. Type in FF7. Uh, no, that isn't Final. I'll type in Final. That should pop. Yeah, here it is. So there's I called it a Final Fantasy VII Noir. It has 466 likes, and the full color had 897. So full color is always going to get more likes, but I I really do like that look. Looking back at it, like if I saw a manga that looked like that, I would buy it. This is where it, this is where I get all freaked out. Like why don't I just draw a whole manga that looks like that? The problem is, is I don't believe in myself. <laughs> that's not it. It's I don't know. I don't have a good explanation for that. I remember coloring when I did the Transformers covers. That is me uh, fully rendering out those kinds of pencils. In fact, I did a full render the Final Fantasy 7 colors is fully rendered over those pencils. But it just takes a tremendous amount of effort to get it to that level. So, with the Batman, I haven't done that level of rendering to him. I could give that a shot and see what it turns out. like. I'm always hit and miss on like the colors I did for uh, the Transformers covers for IDW. The, the Optimus Prime and stuff. I'm always just like... Every time I look at it, I'm like, perhaps I went too far. You know? Um, but it did take a tremendous amount of effort to get the colors that level, so... I remember not being happy with the amount of effort it took. Um, so when I'm like, yeah, I don't know how to color my own pencils. I do. It just took me a tr- Like the red lines, I had to take all the red lines, the shading I did on that, and delete them. And then do the shading digitally from scratch all over again. Uh, so I don't know how, what benefit there is to that. I put some of that shading back, that, that te- pencil texture back in. I can, you can kind of see it if you look on some of those covers. But, yeah, I don't know. I just remember moving past it and just thinking, like, you know, this is a lot of fucking effort. <laughs> this is a lot of effort. I've never attempted to draw comic book pages like this and then hand them to a color to so see what they would do. You know? Uh, that being said, I do like that Noir look. So, um, What else? Oh, I'm going to be doing some commission stuff again soon-ish. Um, Definitely some painting, some color pencil. The color pencil I'm not going to take as far as I did on the Sonic color pencil. So if you guys remember, I did that Sonic triptych. I rendered the shit out of those dudes. I'm going to be limiting my color pencil rendering just because... It took a tremendous amount of time. So I'm gonna see what I can do about shading them in a way where it's a little more cell shaded and then I just use the color pencils. But there's this one I did. If you go to the DeviantArt, it says Knuckles Commish Whip. It's like the first whip I did when I work in progress I did when I was coloring the knuckles. And then there's one after that called Whip Two. And the first whip I think looked better For what I was trying to do. So the final rendering is super nice. I mean it's super clean. I I like the way it looks. But that level of rendering. The point with commissions is is for them to look cool. But to also make money. So being stuck on one piece for a long time. Negates the making money part. So it still looks really cool in the whip one. I don't need to take it to whip two levels. basically basically it. So... Um, I will work that out, but I'm gonna need to practice. Um, I do have a commission I agree to do in October, that's gonna be cable, so um, I need to do some practice to get there. And then I got some c- watercoloring stuff I want to do. It's been it's been over a year since I've painted, so I definitely need to get back to doing that. Um, there's a different style of saucy I want to do that I kind of worked out two years ago, but then I got h- commissioned to do the Hulk and the Logan. And he really wanted those to look like the other style of sausies. So, I want to do some new watercolor painting. Um, And if no one likes it, then I'll go back to the whole splatty thing. But uh, there's some different stuff I want to do with that. So. The only thing I'm not going back to is Copics. I'm I'm, I think I'm retiring from those completely. Just not my thing. Not my jam, folks. I did enough of them. Don't care. But, uh, yeah. What else? Is there anything else going on? Hmm. Oh, and then lastly, uh, started. So, uh, Y'all know about the Kickstarter stuff. I'm not going to get into it. But today, what that meant with the Kickstarter is that my work schedule's opening back up. Um, a little less than I'd like because I still have to wrap up Megavisions. But now I have my mornings back to write. So, today was the first time in six years wow, that I didn't like look down and realize oh, no, I have all this other stuff I have to write before I write my own scripts. So normally, when I sit down to write, I'm like, do I write Game Cave? Do I write stuff for Megavisions? Do I write my own comics? What, what, do I, what do I do? Today, all I had to do was work on Little Reapers. Like, that's it. So how I'm doing it is I'm blocking my work on Little Reapers in six pages, six-page blocks. Um, six or seven page blocks, depending on how that works out. And then also I'll draw all six or seven pages. And then I'll color all six. In between there, I'm just refining the dialog I need. And the dialog is based on what I actually drew. So I'm drawing from an outline. Pretty detailed outline, but it's an outline. And then I'm when I write my script, so-called so, so quote-unquote script, that is me just adding the final dialogue based off what I drew. <clears throat> so, it was nice. I was like, I, that's all I have to write. I don't have to write. I don't have game reviews to write. I don't have development on the Game Cave storyline to write um, because I'm not going to do that while I work on Little Reapers. Um, only thing I have to do is work on Little Reapers. Now, when I don't have anything to write, like so let's say I work on sketch out six pages, draw six pages, color six pages. During that process, I'm... Uh, after I draw it, that's when I start writing. When that dialogue is done and I'm back to sketching, that sketching is going to take place during my one hour in the morning to write. Um... So I just get an extra hour to sketch in the morning uh, or break down. I'll probably just use that to break down my outline into my initial uh, thumbnails. So the way I've been doing it is I have this outline open and then on my iPad, I blob in how I want the pages to be laid out. Really loose blobs. Um, And then when that's done and I can lasso stuff around, move it, scale it, figure out how I want it to look. Then I literally uh, trace over that iPad on my sketchbook. I just put a piece of paper over it and trace over and draw the whole page by hand um, in terms of my my layout for that page. And then I scan that in and trace over that for my final digital stuff. I've I've tried not to do that. I've tried to just blob stuff in digitally and work out that way. But I can't. I just can't seem to get around that idea. Like my page layouts. Because the pages are. F- pages. Like I'm physically going to hold them. For some reason I figured this out better. Um, that way. So I'm just going to do it the long way. And just stick to that path. Which means when I don't have dialogue to write. Then I'm writing. Uh, I mean, I'm laying out the the book. If eventually I'll run out of book to lay out, and well, here's the problem though: if I, hmm, I got to be careful that I'm not, um, I'm not, not. It's double negative. I'm not not writing for months. See, the less you write, the harder it is when you. St- it back up right like anything else but it gives me colossal headaches like really bad migraines so what i'll have to do is not i'm not going to to do that so i can do that hmm i gotta can i do that for a week or two no you know there is other stuff to write i have bonus content in each issue that's uh, novella stuff so remember when i was like writing game and it was a book uh, i've developed a really good process for writing books where I have these detailed bullet pointed outlines, and then I delete the bullet points and arrange them into paragraphs, and that builds my first draft novel is done. Like I have a first draft based off my detailed outlines. Um, And then I just block stuff, dialogue out, and then fix all the, I fix the descriptive paragraphs, and then do dialogue passes, and then a character dialogue pass refinement on that. And it's ready for copy editing. Like I did that for two years. I have that process burned into my brain. It's never going away. So one thing I like about book novella stuff. Is that it allows you to really get into characters heads. However I realize a lot of you out there. Don't want to read it. So. um, I'm going to be writing that stuff. For everything I do. Um, Like maybe 22. Like a full comics worth of that content, because it's just words um, that help expand character stuff. But it'll be released as bonus content basically for like uh, the Kickstarter. So I'll put the comic up on the net for free, but when I eventually take it to Kickstarter to do the printed novel, that stuff will already be written and it'll be bonus material stuff. Yeah. So, um, as well as for future digital issues that I have, you know, for download, I'll put it in there. So uh, if I'll have to get in on comiXology and all that. But I'll have that to write. So I'll just have to jump between having my mornings to sketch. And then if I feel like I haven't written in a while, I'll just work on the novella stuff and then back and forth. So that's something you really can't over plan too much. You just kind of like gauge. You have to gauge where your mind is at. Like, what are you... Uh, creatively more interested in doing. And to just sort of lean toward, you know, whatever you want to do. But it's, I mean, it's amazing. Like Even now when I think about it, I only have to work on Little Reapers and my main freelance work. I mean, to not have to juggle the game magazine stuff and the comic stuff and hopefully writing stuff, to like not have to do that, I actually was lost. I remember it happened during the weekend when I first contemplated that. Like I felt like I might have been a little lost, but I'm like, nah, I'll know what to do. Then this morning I sat down. I'm like, I don't know what to do. So like I had to I just sit down and write down what what am I what do I have to work on? And uh, immediately I knew that I had final text to write because this is why when I did the layouts. For Little Reapers, you're going to say, you're going to see in all the boxes, it says Needs Text Yo. That's to remind myself, I need to write that final text before I do anything else. So, I do forget. So, I remember Needs Text Yo. (laughs) I should probably start writing that. Um, So, and then my process for that is simple. I just write it in a Google Doc with bullet points. You can see a photograph on it on my Instagram page and Facebook and whatever. Uh, and then if I were to submit that as a script, I would then take that dialogue and paste it into, uh, fade in and format it in a script format. So, um, same thing if I were breaking, if I broke the outline down into a full issue script, I would write it in those bullet points and then do the final formatting. So anytime I write anything, I write it my way. And then when I have to submit it, I format it to what they need. Uh, it seems like you're doing it twice, but it goes by pretty fast when you're not being creative. It's just kind of a technical chore, which means you can put on, I can put on techno music or audiobook. I can drink. You know, I don't have to use any of my brain cells to do that. But I found that if I try to write you know, in a like script format, if I'm trying to write in some format, I'm using another part of my brain that doesn't want to be used while I'm trying to be creative. So, I'd rather just belch all my ideas on a page, refine them how I like to refine them, and then switch that to whatever format needs to be done. Also, I I write in Comic Sans. So if you look at my at my uh, if you if you look at my the photo I posted today, you you might realize or think to yourself, that's Comic Sans. That's an ugly font. Well, here's the thing: I used to always write in Times Roman. Because I can't stand Courier. That Courier font that you have to use. When you submit scripts. I, I don't like it. Um, but. Earlier in the year. I read some crazy. I don't know where I was it. It was some article about how. Like comics hands. If you write things in comics hands. It's super easy to write. Like even though the font is ugly. It was designed. To not be intimidating. So like. Some weird. Psychological thing. Like it was designed for people to use when they write, not to be used as a comic book font or a shitty logo. So I didn't believe that <laughs> I'm like, can't be true. So I decided when I did the Little Reapers stuff to only write in Comic Sans while I'm writing, and then I'll convert it all back to Times New Roman when I'm done writing for the day, uh, to so see how that goes. So I started typing in times New Roman. I got, I mean, in comic book font, Uh, Comic Sans, I got double the amount of work done versus when I was writing the novel stuff in Times Roman. So it looks a little weird at first, but about 20-30 minutes into typing, like I can't not type in Comic Sans now. So if you ever have uh, trouble typing, just type in Comic Sans. It it really is true. Because it doesn't look serious... I don't feel like I'm writing a book or anything serious. I feel like I'm just writing... Like a... Diary or journal or something. It's weird. So For me, that worked. I think that's about it, folks. I think that's all I got today. So that's a nice 37-minute long morning podcast. So I'll have Brandon on soon. I want to talk to him about Enter the Florpus. Uh, a lot. And then... What else i'm tr- i was gonna do a a mega show last week with andy but i might just have andy on sometime this week to talk video game stuff so we might just do a morning podcast i'm i'm waiting to do the next mega show uh for after i get back from arizona so uh, i'll drag Brandon onto that so i haven't given up the mega show format it's always fun to do those fun intros but For the meantime, morning podcast format. All right, everybody, I'm going to head out of here. Let me see if I can find my jingle here. Uh, Just remember, folks, I do have lots of goodies up at the store at ShopSketchcraft.com. So if you want to get a print, I I restocked that with a grip of stuff, including spyro posters. So if you want to get a poster of the spyro art, that's all up in there. And, uh, leave comments, questions, whatever you want. I'm going to be doing, oh, one last thing. I am going to be starting up, uh, the long form, what is the speed versions of my artwork and art tips. So we got, I'm trying to figure out how to do the art tip thing. I want to do a whole, hmm. I want to do something more complex, but I don't have time to. So I'm trying to figure out the way to dish that out. But the idea has always been something like SketchCraft 101, where I can just cover really basic things and and have them there. So when people ask me, like, I got questions this week about, how do you do silhouettes on paper? And I always reply, use 10 and 30%, 50% markers to draw the silhouettes and then draw over them. And people go, how do you do that? I'm like, you get a fucking marker and you draw the fucking sil. Like, it's not... It's not hard, folks. So apparently it is. Maybe that's the way I'll be using Copics again, just to show people how to do that. So that's coming soon. I'll talk to y'all later. I'm out of here. Peace. Made these um, low carb banana. Oh, sorry, blueberry muffins. Up. So it's fun show, right? What did we learn? We learned that. I do a lot of uhs and I don't know what I'm gonna say. when I'm by myself. <laughs> Pretty good at it when brain here Pretty good at not doing it when brain insane. It's gotta work, work. Alright everybody, you have a good day.